The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Dairy Community Access Media or its employees. This podcast is sponsored by Elliott Health System, providing quality, compassionate care to our community for 130 years. everyone and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa and today to begin this episode by saying that this podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience or triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by the veteran or service members are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services or any other organization. So uh, today we have Dave. Um, Dave, give me some of your backstory. Um. Well, my name is David Benford. I was a sergeant in the United States Army. I also served um, early in the actually late 80s, early 90s in the United States Air Force and achieved the rank of sergeant there as well. Um, So I guess my first initial experience in the military was uh, after spending a semester in college and realizing that uh, I was wasting my dad's money (laughs) and I was partying too much and really wasn't very disciplined in what I needed to do. And I just decided I would look at doing the military and initially was going to go in the Marine Corps. My dad was a Marine. Okay. And uh, through some through some uh, things that happened there, I ended up taking a different route. And uh, I don't know how, how much in depth you guys want to get, but it's kind of a funny story. I was, yeah. uh, I was actually sitting across the table at home with the Marine Corps recruiter. My dad's sitting next to me and uh, we'd, finished talking about a few things and getting mm-hmm. questions answered and recruiter pushes the agreement to uh, enlist across the table to me with a pen. And I pick the pen up and start to sign. And my dad looks at me and says, put the pen down. Okay. I put the pen down mm-hmm. and he looks at the recruiter. He says, you can leave now. And the recruiter says, oh, okay, as soon as he's finished signing, I'll be out of you guys' hair. You guys get on with your evening. And I, so I picked the pen back up and I said, I said, put the pen down. So I put the pen back down <laughs> and I look at my dad and I'm like, in my mind, I'm going, what is going on? And he looks at the recruiter, says the same thing. You can leave now. The recruiter tries to rebut. And my dad leans across the table, says one ring to another. You can leave. I'm going to talk to my son. Wow. And so after that, after he left, I was like, I, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And my dad stopped and he says, listen, if you feel like you need to go in the military, I'm not going to stop you. I don't want you to, but I'm not going to stop you. But if you're going to go in, I want you to go in and learn to do something that you can use and you get out mm-hmm. and not be a bullet biter like I was and have to drive a truck for 50 years. Sure. And so when he said that, I'm like, okay, well, I start. I started looking in different other, other areas of the military Okay. and ended up selling on the Air Force. Yeah. So tell us some of um, that experience. So... How was the recruitment process? Um, so as, uh, recruiting initially, being a young kid, uh, you know, I was out of high school, but still young. And uh, I would have to say very much naive. Um, that that initial recruiting process was, I'm not going to say it was dishonest per se, but there were some things that were said during the recruiting process that wasn't exactly truthful. Yeah. Can you share with us some of that? I, you know, it's been a long time ago. <laughs> um I do. So the main thing that I remember is um, you know, them talking about how life was going to be in the mm-hmm. military, particularly the Air Force in this case. 
I mean, I, I served twice, so obviously I didn't learn my lesson the first time, but, um, you know, just how lifestyle was and things like that. So when I, what I noticed was that a lot of times the, the picture is painted that it's a nice and decent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all the branches, I would probably say Air Force is the better lifestyle. Okay. But you're pretty much at the beck and call of the military yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sure. And, you know, if you, let's say you want to take a break and go see friends or family, all that stuff has to be pre-approved months in advance. Yeah. And if there something, something takes place and there's other things going on, mission related, it can be, you know, changed and you don't get to go. Very much a lifestyle. It's- it is. It's, uh, it is, um, I don't regret any of it, but it is a lifestyle of, you know, you are, you are the property of the United States government. And when something happens, uh, in the world and they need you at a certain place and whatever plans you had are now back burner, you don't, you know, you're doing the other, you're doing what the government wants. Sure. Um, so, so your dad, um, helped kind of lead you in the way of enlisting. Um, yeah, it was mainly, it was like, you know, if you feel like you need to go in and do something that you'll have a trade and a skill set that yeah. you can do when you get out. So what, what trade did you do in the Air Force? Um, I actually became a structural maintenance technician where I actually worked on all the airframe of, oh, wow. of aircraft. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, my, my story is kind of weird. I, um, let's, let's like hear I said, <laughs> well, I, so I did that service in the Air Force and it was fairly uneventful. Uh, there was really nothing going on. I mean, when I first went in, you know, you had the thing going down in Panama uh, where they were taking Noriega out of, uh, out what, of power. And then, um, did you start serving? 1988 to okay. 1992 active duty air force at that time. And then of course, desert storm kicked off and there was a period of time where we would do TDY temporary duty assignments to certain areas of the world to support that. Um, I did not see any combat during that time. In fact, it was probably more like a, like a three month vacation than anything else. So, and that, and that's, that's the big joke between uh, services between army and air force and Marine Corps air force is known as the chair force because they really, they, in their mind, they don't do anything. Not necessarily true. It's just not as physically demanding. Sure. Um, So, you know, I, I did that from active duty 88 to 92 and then, uh, was in reserves from 92 to 96. And then in 96, I moved back home to Texas. I was actually stationed in uh, Washington State in McCord Air Force Base at that time. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Texas. In Texas. Okay. Because I've heard the little bit of an accent. A little bit of accent, yeah. How long have you been in uh, New Hampshire? I moved up here in July of 2014. Okay. So I've been up here a little bit. Technically, I'm a flatlander, but I'm not. (laughs) We used to go to Colorado every year. And that's the big thing. Texans go to Colorado every year for vacation. Nice. So, uh, so you used to a little, little bit of the snow, oh, mountains, I, all that stuff. I love snow. I love cold weather. <laughs> so you're in a good state for I it. I am in a great state for it. I love it. Do you ski or snowboard or any? any I do sports? both, but okay. primarily snowboard. Me too. And I've been snowboarding since 1988 when I learned in Washington State. Nice. Yeah. So as you were like, how old were you? Like 18, uh, Dad was 19. Okay. I didn't I didn't start snowboarding until I was 18. Yeah, I was 19. That's something me and my brother have done. That's actually years. one of my releases. That's that's what I'm able to get out of my head and yeah. just enjoy the moment. Yeah. It's really it's really therapeutic for me. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
So, so I, <laughs> I served, like I said, initially had uh, reserve time, moved back to Texas. I was in the corporal for a number of years. Um, I out served as an out, uh, insurance agent. I've been an outside sales rep with a huge territory, been a marketing rep for an insurance company. Um, I found my, I actually was a uh, vice president of field marketing for an electricity, elect, an energy brokerage company out of Texas and found myself laid off in uh, June of 2007. Okay. And, uh, delivered pizzas for about three months to keep the roof over the head and sure. food on the table. And then I got a job as a state farm agent, not as the agent, but as an agent at, at a state farm um, location. And I uh, got laid off again, roughly 13 months okay. after the first one, and I couldn't find work. So I raised my right hand again and went in, but this time I went in army. Okay. And that was a different experience with the recruiter. So the yeah. first one was more naive and I kind of believed everything they said and, and it wasn't a bad experience. I would not go back and change any of that. Sure. I would do it all over again if I had to. But the second experience was a little different. Um, they tried to say a few things and tried to do it. And I'm like, listen, I'm 39 years old. I've already been to this rodeo. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not playing the game. Right. You're going to shoot straight with me. I'm going to shoot straight with you. Yeah. So it was a little different because they were talking to a grown man as to oppose <laughs> a very young man. Yeah. And so it was a different experience. I actually got up and walked out. Wow. In the process. I, I had wanted a certain job. I had the qualifications for the job, but due to my layoffs, I had some credit issues and they, they look at credit nowadays. They look at all of that. They look at, they look at your background. They look at your history In certain jobs, they'll do an actual full-blown FBI investigation. Oh, wow. And so my, the one that I wanted to do involved all of that. And because of my credit issues due to my layoffs, I wasn't able to get the job I wanted. And I literally looked at the guy, we were at the MEPS, which is the military interest, interest processing station in Dallas. Okay. And he told me, um, you can't have it. You can't get the security clearance. Wow. And I got up. I said, well, I'm done here. And I walked out. Okay. My phone started blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> the recruiters calling me and I mean, multiple people are calling me sure. to ask me what's going on. I finally went back in and we finally settled on something because I really didn't have any other options. Okay. I, I couldn't find any other work and I still had four kids at home. I had mm -hmm. one that had graduated high school, moved out. I had to figure out a way to support the family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so yeah, I wound up in the army. <laughs> so what is the, the process for that? So going from one, one branch to the other, do you have to. There's so at my age of being 39, I had had uh, a major knee surgery where they replaced ACL. So I had certain waivers that I had to do. Okay. One of the waivers was I was coming from being a hundred thousand dollar year income earner mm -hmm. to nothing. Yeah. Going into the military and they were like, well, we really don't want to take you in because you've earned this amount of money and you're only going to make this amount. Yeah. And I, and so I had to sign waivers stating that I realized that I have no other options. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, it's not going to be a, it's, I'm already in a detrimental situation, so it's not going to be more of a detriment kind of thing. And then, you know, some, a couple of health waivers I had to sign due to, okay. due to age and just physical conditioning and things like that. Okay. Wow. So, this was 2008, 2009? 2008. 
when that second layoff took place. So that was July of 2008. And by September of 2008, September 10th to be exact, Okay. which is the day before September 11th from 2001. I mean, I remember watching all of that on television when that took place. And I really, I wanted to reenlist then. <clears throat> really? But I've like, yeah, I'm too old. I got kids. And so I didn't do any, I didn't do any of that. I didn't follow up on that. Wow. But yeah, it's uh, September 10th is when I actually left to go to Fort Sill to end process. Wow. And then went from there out to New Mexico to a very remote National Guard base to do a reintegration into the military because I've already had basic training. Yeah. And so that was uh, very remote, very, it was locked. It was basically like being on lockdown. Were there a lot of people around your age doing that? Yes, there was. I mean, there were quite a few guys um, and ladies for that matter that are pri- that were prior service. And I'd say they were probably anywhere from mid twenties to, I think the oldest guy was, say I was 39 at the time. The oldest guy I think was about, about 45, 46 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, how, so not being able to find a job, was that due more to the economy? Yeah, it's, okay. well, that was the, you know, 2007, 2008, that's yeah. when the, the kind of that recession time hit. And it's not that I couldn't necessarily find a job per se, but the jobs that were available were like flipping burgers and, yeah. and doing that wasn't, there was no real advancement there and no way that I could really support a family doing that. Yeah. And so that's the military, even though the wage wasn't that great, housing allowance, mm-hmm. uh, insurance, health insurance specifically, mm-hmm. those things were in place so that even if I didn't make a lot of money right away, mm-hmm. I could live well below my means, make sure the family was taken care of yeah, and then uh, progress. Yeah. Which I was able to do. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so how was it uh, having to leave now I'm assuming a wife, four kids, like how long, so you had to go do some training for a little while. Yep. Before so you- when I left, I left, like I said, September 10th of 2008. Okay. Um, I didn't see anyone in in my family until like the following spring break. So that'd have been March of 2009. Wow. Then um, they only came up for a few days because they had school off. So they came up yeah. for a few days. <clears throat> I think I did have the opportunity to fly my wife up uh, for a Valentine's Day weekend <laughs> during like in February. Yeah. Um, but seeing the whole family was, would have been March timeframe. So that's like a good six, six or so months. Yeah. And then after that, um, cause I didn't want to pull them out of school in the yeah. middle of school year. They had already started school. They had been in that school for a while and I didn't want to pull them out of that because of the issues that, you know, that were going on with earning income and, and, uh, providing for them. So I just, I told them to stay put. And once I was done with all my training and at my duty station and all that squared away, then I would come back and we'd all move up. Yeah. Did you so, utilize like um, Skype or anything like that? Uh, yeah, we would use Skype and uh, telephone calls. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I'm still kind of weird about video and telephone calls. I'm not, I, I'll text. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I'll do Facebook Messenger, yeah. but I'm not a big. FaceTimer. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, And it's kind of, I guess at some points it's a detriment, especially with family because they want to see and talk to. And I just, I'm like, I don't know. It's weird. (laughs) 
at, that's one of my anxieties, I think. Sure. I don't know. I can't explain why. I just know that it is. And yeah, it takes a lot for me to do it. Well, there's always texting. So yeah. That. <laughs> but yeah, so they finally moved in, moved to uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky is where I ended up getting stationed Hunter First Airborne. And the whole family moved. The whole family moved. That would have been, that was July of 2009 okay. when they finally moved. Um, I was actually supposed to go home and help pack up and move. <laughs> I ended up getting put into uh, uh, leadership school. Oh wow! So that I could gain my rank a little quicker. Okay. Which was nice. I had a I had a really good command that uh, realized I wasn't just some eighteen year old private, even yeah. though I was a private <laughs> starting all over. Mm-hmm. So they they did a really good job of helping me get to the point where I could gain rank pretty quick. Awesome. Um... So what are some skills or traits that, um, let's go back to back when you were 18, 19 joining, what were some of the skills and traits, um, that prepared you for your service? Um, I've always been pretty mechanically inclined and I, I think that's because of my dad. Um, my dad worked shade tree mechanic. He was a truck driver, but he was always working on his or someone else's car mm-hmm. and, so him being gone during the week, usually the only time I'd be able to spend with him is on weekends yeah. and he'd be working on either our stuff or someone else's. Yep. So that's, I helped him do that. Cool. Um, even in the, in the summer times, we, you know, he built a house and I was helping him to do the electrical and the plumbing and the sheetrock. Okay. I hated it. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated it, but I'm thankful for it now. Yeah. I'm thankful for those times that. We spend together. We don't talk that often. Sure. It's, I don't know, like I said, it's, it's an awkward situation where I can't really talk on the phone too much. Sure. So, um, during the military life, so you had, you went in kind of at very two different drastic ages, right? Right when you were 18. <laughs> Extremely different. Yeah. <laughs> 20 years apart, as a matter yeah. of fact. If I'd have just stayed in the first time, I'd have done been retired. Right. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Um, what, what were some of your expectations, um, versus the reality, uh, when serving? I know you've talked a little bit about it, but is there anything like specific that sticks out that you remember from either time? Um, so my first time going in, I remember like my mom and stepdad, my stepdad's a Vietnam vet, Air Force. He worked fire rescue. And I remember them trying to talk me out of going in the military. And one of the things they did is they had me watch movies like uh, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, all those types of movies. And mm-hmm. it really didn't discourage me from going in. If anything, it probably made me a little more gung-ho okay. to go in. Um, so I, I really wasn't quite sure what to expect. I think one of the things that sticks out in my head was like the very first night of basic training you know, I get down to Lackland Air Force Base after my very first ever plane ride from oh. Dallas to San Antonio. Not a very long one, but that was my first <laughs> ever plane ride. Mm-hmm. And um, sitting in the airport waiting for someone to come pick us up. And it took forever. By the time we got to Lackland, I don't know, it's two or three in the morning. Mm-hmm. By the time they put us where we're going to be within our barracks and all that, it's at least. It's at least three thirty by that time. Three, yeah. you know, I think they got us maybe one thirty ish, and then by the time we got there, got in process, it's probably about three three thirty. Mm-hmm. 
they give us our blanket and our sheets and stuff and we have to make our beds and finally lay down and go to sleep. It was, I think I, I fell asleep, but I don't know how, how long I'd have been asleep because the next thing I know is someone kicking trash cans down the aisle way and, and yelling and screaming and lights coming on. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm laying in a bunk bed and I, I sent, not since I was a little bitty kid that I sleep in a bunk bed. Yeah. I had had my own bed. I had a water bed at home and stuff. And so <laughs> I'm sleeping in this bunk bed and this stuff happens. And I literally raised straight up out of bed and I bust my head on the bunk bed above me. <sighs> and I just kind of st- I, I, I <laughs> shook my head and I kind of spun myself out of the bed. And I'm like, what the hell did I just do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not that it was like physically hard or anything, because it wasn't. It was a mental thing for the yeah. on the Air Force side of things. But that's that was probably that was my my reality check right there. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah, I, I no longer have my own life. I don't get to sleep in anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't get to eat when I want to eat. I don't get to go where I want to go. And basically, during basic, you're doing everything they tell you to do. Yeah. And then when you get to your normal duty station, um, after you go through your technical training and all that stuff, a little more freedom, but it's, they stage it out. So you don't go crazy right. when you're freedom, freedom back, which is kind of weird yeah. thinking about that. So how long that, that first training, how long? So it's, 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 it's about five or six months. Okay. That initial, then when I first went in the, basically the, the basic training through the technical training is probably about a good five months at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can you talk some more about like the specialty that you did, um, working on the airplanes? Well, so the first time I actually worked on aircraft, um, all the structural maintenance. So anything airframe related, I learned how to fix and repair. Okay. Um, which was kind of cool. I've, I worked in two different scenarios. I worked in actually three different scenarios. I worked in what they call an isochronal dock. And that's where you bring the plane in after so many hours of flying, they bring the plane in and you do a full blown inspection. They tear every panel off they can oh. tear off and they look at everything and they fix anything that's wrong. So I did that for a while and that helped me gain a really good knowledge of the aircraft that we, mm-hmm. that we had where I was stationed. And it gave me a lot of experience on a lot of different types of repairs. Mm-hmm. So it made me a really good, what they call a sheet metal technician. Okay. Um, and then I worked in the shop for a while and that's a little more mundane, more boring. Uh, I did not thrive very well in that at all. Cause it's typically the same stuff day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not cut out to be that factory worker kind of oh. person that just doesn't work for me. And then they finally saw that it was, I was like, my whole attitude, everything was just starting to crash and they put me out on the flight line. And on the flight line, I felt that's probably where I thrived the most. I was able to think on my feet. Okay. I was a, and I worked on the same aircraft, but these aircraft on the flight line were mission ready. That means at any moment they would scramble up a mission and assign whatever aircraft we had there to a mission. And so they do the pre-flight checks. If something was wrong, they don't want to scratch that plane unless they absolutely have to. Yeah. Cause that, that, that reflects their reliability ratings. Okay. And so when I was on the flight line, they would call me up if certain things were wrong and I would have to go fix those things okay. fairly quickly. <laughs> and yeah. so I felt like I, I felt like I thrived in that type of atmosphere, worked very, very well under pressure. Yeah. Um, I, 
there there was one time where there was a they call a six ship mission meaning there were six aircraft that were slated to take off at a certain time mm -hmm. to do a mission a lot of times we did transports for the army at that okay. time um so there were six planes that needed to leave by a certain time and all six of them had something wrong with them i was the only person on the flight line that did my job okay. at that time because there were people on leave and people off work sure. things like that I didn't have time to call for anybody to help me out of our regular shop. And I actually got every single one of those planes fixed. Wow. And they all took off on time. That's, that's amazing. I actually received a, an award. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It being, I think I might've been 20 years old at the time. Yeah. So that's like a. Maybe 21. Good proud moment of you. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was pretty awesome. I'm still proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's actually, if I remember correctly, I think that was during desert storm. Okay. And was that overseas? Or? It was not. It was actually before I did a TDY overseas. Okay. I think that's probably what helped me be able to do a TDY overseas. Now, talk about the TDY again. So I, I don't know. So TDY know is temporary duty assignment. Okay. So back then, you know, the, the army still considers it a deployment, even though it wasn't a very long um, war, mm -hmm. but the air force didn't, because we weren't in a combat zone, uh, you know, Riyadh, um, Saudi Arabia is one of the locations uh, they use some. They did use some bases in Israel at the time, so it's typically you're still in a friendly country. You're not receiving any incoming fire, anything yeah. like that. You're just you're there to planes coming in, something wrong, fix it, get them out, yeah. that kind of a thing. So it was it's kind of cool. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, it was that was probably more of a vacation than anything else. <laughs> um. Now, did you get to choose that specialty when, when you went in? I did. I, I actually wanted to be an aircraft mechanic. That was I figured that would be a good trade that I could use when I got out of the military. Okay. Um, I think initially I had requested a jet engine mechanic, but this, all the slots were full for that. And so that was the next one available. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I got what I got because... Yeah, I, I, st I still don't like working on motors. I mean, I do it. I know how, but I don't like it because you get too dirty <laughs> stuff under my fingernails. It's no good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so. But that, that was the first, yeah. you know, that first experience when I went in the army, I was going to be uh, my goal was to be a. Um, my mind just went blank. <laughs> uh, a chaplain's assistant. Okay. And so the job of the chaplain's assistant is to know, depending on the type of chaplain it is, because they have chaplains for different religions, but was to know what's needed to prepare for a chaplain to hold a service okay. and make sure all that's coordinated. But ultimately, you're the chaplain's bodyguard because the chaplains don't carry firearms. Okay. And so that meant that I would be a, basically, I, I would be bodyguard for a chaplain. That's not too bad. I, I thought it was going to be a pretty cool gig, but unfortunately I did not get that one. Um, so that explains why you had to have so much kind of background yeah. checks. Because you would know where all, you would know where troops are because a chaplain, like our chaplain that we ended up getting it. Uh, my unit that I was in the army was second battalion, 327th entry regiment. No slack was our motto. Okay. Um, and we were in the 101st airborne. So our chaplain knew where all of our guys were. And so the chaplain assistant knew that information as well. So even though it never would have happened, the, the, the guidelines within the army is if you have any financial difficulties, which I had due to layoffs, sure. 
is that your chances of getting a security clearance were going to be very slim because they didn't want to run the risk of you getting further in a financial bind and then selling information. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the reason why I did not get it, even though that would have been like, because I told the guy, I said, I don't even know anyone to sell information to, <laughs> let alone it would never happen. Right. Exactly. But I, they have to treat everyone the same. Yeah. So, so I ended up uh, looking at a few different jobs and I ended up being a mechanic. Again. <laughs> Again. <clears throat> okay. This time it was more in the lines of vehicles, not aircraft. I mean, I could have went in and been a helicopter mechanic, but I chose to be a, a vehicle mechanic. I felt that that would get me a little closer to where I really wanted to be to begin with. And that's with everyday guy, every everyday soldiers mm -hmm. um, being able to shoot weapons and do the things that uh, I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it did. All right. For part two, tune into the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more about the Homeland Heroes Foundation, please visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. This podcast is sponsored by Elliott Health System, providing quality, compassionate care to our community for 130 years.